Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Happy Memorial Day, and thanks for listening to this special Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. Memorial Day, Monday, the 29th of May, 2023. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is a special edition on Memorial Day. So let's jump in with our Growing Your Faith verse of the day. It comes from Psalm 118, verses 5 and 6. In my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? In my distress, I prayed to the Lord. So what distresses you this morning, and how are you praying to the Lord in the midst of your distress? Are you praying to the Lord in your distress? That's what the psalmist says. In my distress, I prayed to the Lord. So what distresses you this morning, and are you praying to the Lord in your distress? The Lord answered me and set me free, says the psalmist. The Lord is for me, not against me. Therefore, I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? I am reminded here about the words of Jesus to his disciples in Matthew 10, verse 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Friend, there's a reasonable and a righteous fear, and there's a reasonable and righteous fear of pain and distress and anguish and torment. I mean, like, there's a reasonable and a righteous fear, but it's not the fear of other people or even what other people might do to us. The fear is that we might spend an eternity separated from God. I mean, death comes, may come today may come many years from now. The reality is life is short and eternity is long. And where you're going to spend eternity is really the compelling question the psalmist is lifting up here. I prayed to the Lord in my distress. The Lord answered me and set me free. Now, maybe not free from the distress, but free from the stress of the distress, because the psalmist is aware of the presence of the Lord. The Lord is for me. I'll have no fear. What can mere people do to me? So even as those mere people are doing things that the psalmist experiences as distressing, the person praying here is not feared with fill, fear, excuse me, filled with fear, but filled with faith in the Lord who is for us. So um, my friend Shelly uh, in Texas, who's been on the show with us before, um, works for Josh McDowell. Um, her daughter, Emily, you might remember, was uh, just 17 at the time um, of her death. Um, she like literally dropped dead at work. It was devastating. But Emily, as a young person um, and a person full of the Holy Spirit, had this saying, life is short. Eternity is long. Make it count. 
So how are we making today count for eternity? I mean, are we living in our distresses or are we living in the liberation that's offered by the Lord who hears and answers our prayers and sets us free? If you're looking for something to read today on the subject of freedom in Christ, I commend to you the eighth chapter of the Gospel of John. Jesus talks there about the necessity of putting our faith in him as the son of the living God and also where um, he talks about what it means to be free indeed. So if Christ has set you free, you're free indeed. So why are we still living as if there's not going to be enough when I know that God is my provider and his grace is all sufficient? Or why do I still fear loneliness when I know that God is with me and God is for me and God's Holy Spirit dwells within me and Jesus promises his own dear presence to cheer and to guide? Like, why do I fear others when I know the Lord is for me? Why do I fear the shadows and the darkness when I know that the one who is the very light of life illuminates my life and my path? Why do I fear death when I know the one who is the resurrection and the life? So I hope today's verses are a comfort and a calling. Could we live secure in the eternal love of God today, even in the midst of our distress? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. This is a special Best of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. Joining us today, our good friend Dave Baring from Lion Share. You can find what we're talking about today at lionshare.org. I um, also want to encourage you to, to check out Lion Share's podcast, um, particularly if you're a person in leadership. It's, um, it's really great and helpful. Dave, welcome back. Well, hey, it's good to be with you. And I think today's the first day of spring. So how's that well, not a good thing? Fantastic. Amen. 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 And amen. Um, let's, um, here's a, uh, here's a joyful topic. Uh, let's talk about spiritual warfare. Um, <laughs> okay. not, not everyone even wants to like admit that it's real. You know, we would like yeah. to think that we have reasoned ourselves beyond a belief in spiritual warfare. Uh, help us understand the reality in which we're living. Yeah. You know, the Bible's very clear that there is an enemy um, who aims to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Jesus said. And so whether it's somebody that doesn't know the Lord and is just living their life, he'll kind of lead you along, kind of reaffirm the things that keep you stuck, um, try to hinder you from getting to know God and from fulfilling the purposes for which you're even born. And as followers of Jesus, it's something we are supposed to be aware of. The Bible teaches on it. Ephesians 6 is a great place to kind of look at that. But um, spiritual warfare, when we say that, what we mean is that there is an enemy, the devil, Satan, who and his kind of demonic horde, if we want to put it that way, that is, is set against Jesus. And because he's set against Jesus, he's set against us. And one of the things the devil does not like is to have Jesus glorified and to have, in other words, his name be made famous and followed by people. So he'll do everything he can to try to hinder us from being able to um, honor the Lord and what we do in our attitudes and our actions, all that stuff. And so this also includes in the workplace. I think, I think, Carmen, sometimes we think about our own lives, our families, but we don't realize he wants to even use our workplace to mess with us. Mm. 
I'm thinking, um, Dave, that when we think about the workplace, there might be some some ways that we could identify like evidence of the enemy's presence or particular ways that the enemy maybe tends to express himself in that environment. Um, can you maybe open our eyes to a little bit of that? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I think like for me, one of the practical ways I've seen the enemy uh, go after stuff is I would use the word divide, that he'll try to divide relationships. And so like, as you're listening to this, think about your workplace and think about where division, meaning tense relationships, not speaking to each other. I've been so hurt by you. I'm out of here. You know, all that kind of stuff. It's like one of the very first places the enemy goes after is trying to destroy our relationships. And so I think as followers of Jesus, there's a there's a phrase that we like to use is ministering in the opposite spirit, ministering in the opposite spirit. So what I mean by that is um, in Proverbs, it says a soft answer turns away wrath. Like when someone comes on onto you, gets in your grill and they're yelling at you, respond more gently and softly and it kind of shuts it down. And so it's it's learning to respond in an opposite way that allows God to enter into that situation. So let, let's say it's a relational issue and this person is just kind of talking behind your back negatively mm-hmm. about you to coworkers. Like one of the things you can do when you find that out, instead of getting all riled up about it and starting obviously to respond in kind, is look for ways that you can affirm them. And without them even knowing that you know, just you know, say, hey, dude, I just wanted to tell you the way that you packed that thing and shipped it and you got it there several days early. I heard back from that company. They were amazed. Man, great job. Like that just blows somebody's mind. And it shuts down an attack that the enemy was trying to bring to divide coworkers. Does that make sense? Yeah. Looking for ways to affirm coworkers, I think is really good. Looking for ways to honor your superior walking yep. away from or actually just not participating when when some group is gossiping um Big time. um i addressing i mean when you hear the accuser like right when you when you hear the accuser um in your in your midst like actually like address it say you know that that accusation feels really divisive like or that's yeah. that's kind of the the negative side um of we want to be people who collaborate we don't really want to be in direct competition with each other, you know, here, we want to be working together. Um, I'm, you know, I'm really seeking to be a person um, promoting the unity of spirit and the bond of peace. You can say that people don't have to know it comes from the Bible. Like, right. 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 So when we, when we come back, um, I want to, I want you to just share the, the positive power of living a godly life. Like there's just really positive power in just being Mm. a person of peace and, and beauty Mm. and truth in the midst of our work environment in terms of um, defeating the enemy's efforts. We're talking about spiritual warfare in the workplace. We're talking with Dave Buring from Lionshare. You can find what we're talking about at lionshare.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. I will trust This is a special Best of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. Picking up where we left off in our conversation with Dave Buring from Lion Share, we're talking about spiritual warfare in the workplace. All right, Dave. So talk about you know the we- just the weapon of living a godly life. I think it's been underrated. You know, I, I think 
we we forget that one of the most important things that we can do is just living a godly life not you know like i'd rather see someone quietly steadily faithfully live a godly life than wearing some kind of hat or t-shirt to work that proclaims jesus because again and i know you and i've talked about this before it's not you know practice what you preach it's you have the authority to actually preach what you've been practicing and especially in in the workplace uh living a godly life think of things like integrity think of things like attitudes that are consistently good think of things like watching the words that come out of your mouth you know think of things like actually looking like purposely looking to serve your fellow employees or your boss or if it's if you're the boss your employees like where you get out there and you jump into situations that they maybe don't see bosses normally jump into see it's those kinds of things in other words carmen the way that i look at it is live your life in such a way that as we often say here in the south i want to get in some of that you know that people see it and it's real it's genuine it's not loaded with jesus language it's just lived and that alone can be an act of spiritual warfare in the workplace. Um, you've already referred us to Ephesians chapter six and, you know, actually like armoring up. And there are some people listening, Dave, who like before they get out of their car and go into work, they probably need to walk through Ephesians chapter six and um, and not only guard their heart, but guard their mind and um you know, and really, like, really strengthen themselves because they know they're walking into a particularly hostile environment. Um, but I'd love to spend a little time talking about intercessory prayer. That is a um, that is that tends to be for some people a very very difficult thing to do in relationship to our places of work and our coworkers. And then for other people, um, it is their go to. But sometimes it's weird. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so so let's just talk about this. So intercessory prayer is that there's a scripture in Ezekiel 22 that talks about someone standing in the gap. In other words, you're standing between, you know, heaven, hell, and there's your workplace. And you're standing in the gap between those two realities. And it's praying in such a way that you're asking God to move in their midst. Uh, I, I have friends that um, they would tell you that for years what they've done is they get into work early and they just prayer walk around the facility. Nobody kind of knows if somebody, you know, sees them and say, yeah, just out for a walk. But they're praying. They're praying over their workspace. They're praying over and they so they're not making a scene. Nobody else is there. But it's it's one of the ways that they do it is they just pray over, it, especially if they realize there's just something yucky going on here that we just need to pray over. Um, I think another thing is like imagine if. And I'm making up numbers here just because this matches. Let's just say you had seven people on your team or seven people you work with. Just get them on some kind of a schedule that that Monday is Susie, Tuesday is Charlie, Wednesday is Freddie, where you just know. And whether it's on your way to work, you shut off sports radio. Don't turn Carmen off, but you shut off sports radio and you're praying. Or it could just be that morning as you're you know, getting dressed, that's your rhythm of prayer. But but I, I got to promise you something. When you start praying for those you work with, stuff happens and you'll be able to connect the dots. Like when someone is just blessed with something that they never expected and you didn't know that was coming either, but you will be able to, to look there and go, God, I see you. I see you are answering that prayer. 
So I think those are a couple of practical ways that you can, you know, deal with prayer here. And I'll throw one more out on this, Carmen. If you're a leader in your company and there's just stuff happening on the job, I know you've maybe never connected these two things before, but consider fasting. Like, like yeah. say, okay, I'm going to fast breakfast on Thursday mornings for the next month while we our company's making these big decisions. And you just fast uh, your breakfast and you pray for the the company, you pray for the relationships, you pray for the opportunities to discern what God's saying. So, I mean, there's all kinds of things in there that you can do to exercise authority in prayer. Um, breakfast is an in- interesting one to um, to use since, um, you know, it is the break of the fast. Like, I, yeah. it's good. It's good because it, it extends that experience. Um, I think the scriptures as a useful weapon um, maybe mm-hmm. seems maybe seems obvious. Um, but talk with us about the name and the blood of Jesus. There may be people listening who come out of um, particular church experiences or backgrounds where these are just not things that uh, we talk very much about. Right. So right. what right. what does it what does it mean and how do I practically use the name and the blood of Jesus when I'm talking about spiritual warfare. Yeah, so I grew up in a church heritage where that that was certainly the case. It was never talked about, didn't really understand it. And then when I got into the missionary world of my life, some of those things became real to me. So the Bible talks about how like Jesus at one point, he had his 12 disciples, but there was a kind of a broader group of 70 or 72. And at one point in the scriptures, he sends them out. And he has them begin to um, go out and share about who Jesus is and that kind of thing. And he gave them authority over the demonic realm by using his name. It's kind of like how, um, you know, if if Carmen or I are driving up uh, the street and there's a guy standing in the middle of the road, he's got his hand extended towards us with his palm up. And we see he's got a badge on. He actually has delegated authority to stop us. And it's the same kind of thing. The name of Jesus, we see Peter uh, and other disciples in the book of Acts, where they use the name of Jesus. And there's an authority with that. It's not something to be just tossed around lightly. But when we need to exercise it, you need to realize that as a child of God, you have the name of Jesus that has all authority. Um, When we talk about the blood of Jesus, I just want you to attach that to the cross, that because Jesus shed his blood for us, it's there's an authority there. And so in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it says they triumphed over him. You're talking about the devil there. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb. All right. So Jesus was the lamb of God who died on the cross for us. And there is a there's an authority when we do that, like Carmen, on a practical way, when, when our kids were little and they were heading off to school, one of the things that Cheryl and I would pray over them was, Lord, we apply the blood of Jesus over their lives today as they leave this place, that you would watch over them, that you would protect them. And it kind of gives the imagery there in, you know, in Exodus of the, the blood posted over the doorpost, you know. And so um, that's a little bit on the name and the blood that I think we can do that is practical for us. We're talking with Dave Buring. We're talking about spiritual warfare in the workplace, and we're putting some weapons in your hands today to win the uh, the war at work. You can find what we're talking about at lionshare.org. One of my favorite um, weapons that you talk about, Dave, um, is the weapon of worship or the weapon of mm-hmm. singing praises to God. Mm-hmm. 
Um, mm. you know, having having praise music uh, playing in my cubicle or in my office is a powerful testimony. My mm. my singing and trusting God is um, is a testimony as well, and it's a powerful yeah. weapon. What what it is happening? Really is. What is happening when I'm singing or broadcasting? music that declares praise to God. Like what what's happening in the spiritual realm? Yeah, and I think that's that's the thing we have to look at because we can just get caught right in the man, I really like this tune or man, the words mm -hmm. of this song are awesome. And that's all true. But we have to also realize that in the spiritual realm, like praise and worship is going on constantly in heaven. Like it it doesn't just kind of start when we die and now we're in heaven and it's going on now. Like there is an angelic chorus going on. There is worship to Jesus going on. And, and it's not like our Sunday services where, okay, now's the time to worship and now's the time we stop. It's, it's responsive. In other words, when they see some new attribute of who God is, they can't help but break out and respond in worship. One day we will be a part of that. But as we worship, we join into that heavenly atmosphere and it begins to impact us. Like I know for me, Carmen, worship is one of my go-tos. When I feel stuck, when I'm not clear on what I need to do, I will worship. And sometimes that means putting my headsets on. I have I have a, three playlists on my iPhone, one that is um, worship intimacy, one that is worship celebration, and one that is worship warfare. And there, And there's about 15 to 20 songs attached to each one. And depending on where I'm at on that day and what's going on, I will go there and I will just spend time worshiping until my heart gets to that right place where it needs to be. And so um, when we worship, we're entering into something that's already happening today, live now in heaven. And we let the spillage of the fruit of that begin to fall on us. Mm, that's so good. Dave, as always, that's so good. All right, guys, that's Dave Buring. You can find more um, of this kind of resourcing at lionshare.org. Dave, thanks so much for joining us again today. Thanks, Carmen. Have a great day. You too. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. You're listening to a special Memorial Day edition of Mornings with Carmen. Um, so what's going on in the lives of young people today? What's going on in youth ministry? What's going on with people who are ministering with young people today? Have you noticed that youth ministry has changed over the years? Maybe in your congregation or maybe in your experience, it hasn't changed. Well, how is our generation genuinely reaching and teaching and discipling teenagers and tweens through the life and ministry of the local church. Like, how is that happening? I remember when youth ministry was literally all about fun and games. Um, it wasn't very enriching and it wasn't very sticky in terms of leading um, young people into uh, to be knit fully into the body of Christ and understand to see themselves as integrally a part of it. So no great surprise that many left. Well, today, youth ministry is knit into the warp and woof of the life of a healthy congregation, no longer a separate parallel experience, but an integrated thread running through every part of the life of a healthy congregation. So how has youth ministry at your church made that transition? We're going to look next at the ways in which youth ministry has grown up with Erica Anderson from Christianity Today. 
This is a special Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Erica Anderson is joining us now. She's got a piece posted at Christianity Today. Youth pastors ditch gross-out games and help student ministry grow up. Today's groups are becoming more integrated with the rest of the church. Erica, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm interested to know, like, what what provoked you to do this, I mean, really pretty in-depth research. You looked at all kinds of varieties of ministries related to emerging generations. Um, what, what provoked you, you know, sort of in this direction to want to find out what's happening today? Yeah, well, I'm I'm really interested in why people are losing their faith in young adulthood. I'm just, you know, kind of zeroed in on that as a mom of younger kids. I'm, you know, intent on helping to educate the next generation in in a way that is effective and lasting. And so I was just thinking about, well, who's talking to our high school students right now and what are they even equipped are, are they just 22 year old guys out of college and do they know what they're doing and so I just that was just the thought that sparked it and then I met someone whose husband worked for a youth training organization youth minister training organization and I was like oh I need to talk to him and then from there I just sort of started calling people up and and wanted to see what is going on with youth ministry how has it changed since I was in, in youth uh, youth group and and I was surprised to find it has changed quite a bit um yeah so you do some history here and you take us back um sort of the how did we get here in youth ministry and I want to I want to visit on that but maybe tell us the end from the beginning who's doing mm-hmm. what right now that's really producing um like an integrated disciple, I mean, at an age, right? They're not all grown Mm -hmm. up yet and their brains haven't even fully developed, but, you know, point to models where you're like that, that seems like that's really working. Well, honestly, I talked to a whole bunch of different people, men, women, people from different parts of the country. And I was really surprised that all of them were sort of on the same page and saying the same things. Um, and, and I liked all the things they were saying. And those things include um, no longer is the youth group sort of its own separate entity, almost like in the past, it was like a, almost like its own separate mini church um, that has not done well for the youth. And so everyone I spoke to talks about how important it is for the youth group to integrate with the larger church and be a part of that in a in a much more holistic way. And then also another point that everyone made was that parents are a much more uh, big factor now. Like, so um, what we find through the research is that when parents are not involved or taking any part in a kid's discipleship or a faith upbringing, that they are so much more likely to walk away and it has so much less impact. And so youth leaders and ministries are making a really concerted effort to ensure that parents know what's going on, to help get them involved if they're willing, and to help kind of secure that in a way where the influence is much stronger. And then the last thing I'll just mention is there is a much uh, better effort to connect kids from high school to college. So there was like this gap in between people graduating high school and going to college and then into young adulthood where they were leaving and there was no connector point. But um, Shane Pruitt, who runs Gen Send, and I talked to him in the article, um, that is their entire ministry is trying to connect high school youth pastors and college youth ministers and making sure that there's sort of a handoff of these students so that they're not going into college and leaving church and just never 
you know, being invited back into that environment again. That's so good. We're talking with Erica Anderson. Um, the piece is posted at Christianity Today. If you want to read the whole thing, you can send me a text and I'll send you the link right back, 877-933-2484. Um, let's, uh, let's do a little bit of um, uh, a little more conversation about that whole, it's an integrated approach now. Like there used to be a time when there was, kids were maybe given the option of um, like kind of opting out of church and just being involved in youth ministry. And that really then sort of replaced this multi-generational, um, maybe sitting under good biblical teaching discipleship model because they were off with the youth group doing whatever fun, funky thing was happening over there. Um, mm-hmm. We now have, you, I mean, you observe this as well, and I certainly observe this in my own experience. We have young people opting out of youth ministry in order to be engaged in um, you know, every component part of the life of a multi-generational church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that that's what so many people said is they said that when people would say graduate from the youth group or graduate from high school, even if they remained in the same town, they would not continue going to the church because it felt like a different church. Mm-hmm. And so they weren't, they didn't know the pastor. They didn't know the elders or the other people. And so seeing how detrimental that was, that's been a huge change. And then also just like, um, just the focus on real discipleship, you know, the youth group culture used to be so much about entertainment and it used to be, um, you know, just a fun, fun, fun. But I think today's at youth, um, yes, of course, they still like to have fun, but they have a lot of unanswered questions. They're, they ha- they're dealing, I feel like, grappling with a lot more um, sort of cultural issues that they're forced to find an opinion on, and they need that guidance and direction. And so um, in, in, in addition to kind of trying to integrate the youth group into the church, um, there's also like this focus not to just keep everything, oh, the youth minister is everything. It's like the youth minister needs to be one of many different adults that are interacting with these kids so that they have plenty of resources, plenty of people that they can connect with, someone that maybe, you know, kind of jives with them specifically, um, and just ensuring that there's a huge community around them rather than just, oh, hey, the youth group and the youth minister and kind of like we do our own thing. Yeah, I think that leads us really organically into the conversation about what what seems like the way we should have always been doing it. And yes. that is this this mentorship model. Can you mm-hmm. talk about like the value that young people place on people who are older than them and how much they really do want a mentor? Yeah, I mean, studies will show you that the more sort of trusted, faith-filled adults in a kid's life, um, the more not only secure that they feel, but the more likely it is that their faith is going to have a lasting effect on them because they feel that they actually have someone that they can ask questions to instead of just sort of being lost and having to rely on the internet. And so I think, you know, having a a good solid set of parents that are invested is your top number one thing, but, and we know that's not always possible. And so that's why it's so important for the church family to come around these kids, because we really need to think of it like a church family. Like these are our kids as a church and we have responsibility to them to love, support, be there for them and answer their questions. And we all know, looking back, like what was the teacher that had an effect on you? We all have these adults in our life where we look back and they had a pivotal, 
you know, effect on how we thought about things and the way we moved in the world. And that is no different with faith mentors inside the church. Uh, one of our favorite conversations here, Erica, um, has been, or, I mean, over time conversations, I say they're plural, is with Kara Powell from the Fuller Youth Institute. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that that's been an influential um, effort uh, in this mentorship. She calls it withing, um, but in this mm-hmm. mentorship and then training this next generation of people who do ministry with youth. Um, and so talk with me a little bit about what you discovered in terms of efforts out there to train up people who do ministry with youth, um, because that's kind of exciting as well. I mean, the, the connecting them together across that bridge from high school to college is awesome, but who's training this current and emerging generation of people doing ministry with youth? Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, these are people that have, you know, kind of gone to seminary. A lot of them are younger. Of course, that's sort of how it works. Some of them are, you know, this is a stepping stone to becoming a senior pastor, which that's okay. Like we all have different callings. Um, But I think um, some of these organizations like GenSend, like I said, and then there's one in Canada that I spoke with called, I think it's called Youth Worker Mm -hmm. Program or something like that. Um, they are reaching out to youth ministers, youth groups, leaders across the country and saying, Hey, we want to train you. We want to equip you. And so I don't know how, what percentage of youth ministers are actually partaking in that, but I know those resources are much more available than they used to be. And I'm happy to hear that. And they're, and they're trying to equip them to talk about the things that are really hitting kids hard. I mean, the the issues of sexuality and culture and things like that. I mean, that's tough stuff to address and to do well as a youth minister. And so um, I think we probably like the more, the better in terms of, you know, equipping them to be able to do that well. Yeah. For those of you listening, just remind you, we talked um, recently with Jeff Grinnell, um, Next Gen Faith, about this same topic. Those are some great resources as well. Fuller Youth Institute, great resources um, uh, Jen Send, which we have already discussed um, here. I know that um, uh, it, just so many organizations that are working on this. If you um, want help identifying them and finding them, Erica actually has a number of them linked in her article. Again, we're talking with Erica Anderson. The article is Youth Pastors Ditch Gross Out Games and Help Student Ministry Grow Up. It's at Christianity Today. I will Send you the link right back if you text me, 877-933-2484. More with Erica in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is a special Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. We're talking with Erica Anderson about uh, her findings related to youth ministry. It's from a piece at Christianity Today. Again, I'll shoot you the link if you send me a text, 877-933-2484. Eight four, um, Erica. I want to. I want to go back to the portion where you talk about the influence of parents. Um, you you note that in 2021, in the book "Handing Down the Faith: How Parents Pass Their Religion On to the Next Generation," there's this research out there that identifies three factors that really determine whether an adult child remains in the faith past high school. Can you tell us what those three determinants are? Yes. Okay. I'm now. I'm like trying to recall oh. in my brain. Okay. Sorry. All right. I'll just I'll just read them. I've got it in front of me. If just the family because I don't want yeah, to yeah. mess it Sorry. up. No. No. You're good. If the family attends church at least once a week, if the parents reported that their religious faith was extremely important, and how often they had conversations 
about religious matters. And when I read that, it occurs to me like parents actually need to be equipped beyond did you haul your kids to church? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so fascinating to me. And that's why I've become so passionate about this as a mom. Like I'm just like, what, what, you know, and these, all these, this kind of goes back to, there's all these conversations about, should you send your kid to Christian school? Or, you know, does it matter if you go to church? And the thing is that like, those things can matter. Going to church is important. Like if you send your kid to Christian school, that's going to help them. However, without the influence of a parent at home, actually being the like chief discipler of a kid, whatever age they are, um, those things are just, they just pale in comparison. It makes all the difference for a child. If their parents are involved and equipped. And, you know, that's, that's something that I really wanted to emphasize in this article. And it's also why I talk a lot on my own platforms about getting informed about apologetics and um, being able to answer your kids questions in a way that makes sense and being prepared for those things. And so partnering with youth ministers and your church and kind of looking ahead, if your kids are younger, being able to think, how are we going to um, be a part of this and really um, integrate ourselves into our child's faith life all the way through high school. Um, you might remember, I mean, when Erica talks about uh, the other things that she has written, um, you might remember Reason to Return, Why Women Need the Church and the Church Needs Women. Um, and Erica, I think a part of this is like every, every mom out there should look in the mirror and if you wondered where the youth minister is for your kid, like you're looking at her, right? I mean, that, <laughs> yeah. that, is, that is a part of what we're talking about. The, the church, most churches across the country, like, I don't know, have less than 200 people, which means there's no way they have a person who is hired to be dedicated to ministering with youth and, and, and families, um, which means that this is going to have to be done by the family of faith, by people within the congregation who are willing to step into this um, and by parents being equipped to do it. Like, this is our role. The children have been given as a sacred trust to their parents. And if their parents are Christians, then, like, it's incumbent upon us to disciple our kids. Yeah, it, it really is. And I know it's obvious, but parents just, when it comes to influence, they are by far number one. Church is I think number two in terms of faith influence, but parents are up there. And um, even though it can feel difficult, it can feel frustrating. It can feel like they're not listening or they're not getting it. And I know that because I feel that as a parent, Um, it it is, it does matter. It is making a difference. Those are things that going, that are going to imprint on them. They're going to look back and see and remember and watch the way that you lived your life and the way you talked about things and that consistency just day by day is is what matters most rather than, you know, one big thing, you know, a year or something. It's the consistency of living out the Christian life just every day in a normal way and having those conversations one by one uh, and bringing them in, you know, bringing things up whenever anything arises and just trying to, you know, kind of weave that into your life. All right. So, um Practical ideas here for um, for you as you're listening. Maybe your church uh, has a senior Sunday. You know, s- students who are graduating share, you know, what their plans are beyond high school graduation. That's a wonderful time for you to make a mental note and say, okay, I actually know someone in the city where they're going to college. 
or I actually, you know, know someone, I know a good church in that community. And you can reach out directly to that young person and say, hey, I, I mean, I regret that I didn't get to know you while you were in high school, but I'd like to get to know you now. You're actually headed off to my alma mater, or you're actually headed off to a place that I'm familiar with because I used to live nearby, or I have a friend there. I'm familiar with a church. Can I connect you? Can I connect with you? And then can I connect you with them? That's what young people are looking for. And I think adults, I mean, Erica, to be perfectly honest, like we have to get over the fear of talking to young people we don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, right? Like we treat them like they're like scary aliens and they're not. They're, they're, they're people. Yeah, I get that. Sometimes in my head, I get in my head like, oh, they're just going to think I'm this annoying old person, right? But I think that they do appreciate the interest in their lives. And um, college campuses, just to say this, like they have so many great Christian ministries. But if you're a kid that's maybe an introvert or whatever, you don't get started there. Um, you need like that one person or that one connection to be made for you so that you can get grounded in that, you know, at day one. And so I agree, that's a great time to, to share that information. Then also for your church to really have prayer partners, I think for these kids going off to college, people that are praying for them consistently, checking in with them, having some kind of system where you're like, not just, okay, bye, see you later. Um, one of the things I wrote about in the article that I thought was so sad was that when COVID started, apparently only 10% of youth got an actual personal call or email from their youth pastor after the church stopped meeting. And I thought that was kind of horrible. And so I want to see that improved. Yeah. Um, I, I'm thinking right now, I mean, I taught fifth grade Sunday school seven, six years ago now. So they are 11th graders. Like, I know those kids. I mean, I knew them as fifth graders. I haven't, I guess I also, like, was part of the teaching team when they were in seventh grade, but that was a little bit different experience. Like, but I I remember them from fifth grade. They look totally different now. You know, they now stand Mm -hmm. eyeball to eyeball. Um, But before they enter their senior year, maybe I should reach out and, and connect with them and just say, hey, I, you know, was just remembering what a good time we had talking about the names of God, you know, back in fifth grade. I'm so proud of you. I love seeing you in worship. Maybe we could reconnect over coffee. I'd like to catch up and, you know, see what God's doing in your life and um, how I can pray for you. Like something just like, I'm not making, I'm, I'm not asking them to make a huge commitment. I'm saying I see you as a young adult person that I'd like to re get to know because the last time I really knew you, you were in fifth grade. Yeah. And I think as Christians, and maybe this serves as a reminder for some people that are listening, it's just like, understand that like you are there like God places people in places for a reason and be open to the move of the spirit that you might be supposed to be there for people it's like we are you know some of us are mothers and fathers like physically but everyone that's part of the Christian family is is a mother or father spiritually to someone and so I think we need to be open to God's movement in terms of the people that he has put in our path to pray for a minister to, and just be a part of their life. And that is something, I don't know, maybe, maybe people haven't thought much about that and now they, they can. Yeah. So good. Erica, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Um, every day in ministry, you guys can connect with Erica at ericaanderson.com. She's also on Facebook and Twitter. You can get all of her socials from her website. Um, her book, which we have talked about on a, on a prior occasion, Reason to Return, Why Women Need the Church and the Church Need Women. She's been joining us today on the subject of uh, youth ministry and what's happening in youth ministry. I'm happy to send you the direct link to her Christianity Today piece. Just send me a text, 
877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaVerge. This is Faith Radio. You're listening to a special Memorial Day edition of Mornings with Carmen. And because it's Memorial Day, it's literally the official start of summer. Um, So what do you have planned in terms of how you are going to grow in grace this summer? Do you actually, like, have a gardening plan for your own life of faith? What are you planting deep within your heart and mind? What are you sowing in the culture around you? How are you tending to the garden of your heart like the vine dresser, propping up, pruning off, weeding, watering, keeping watch? How are you cultivating conversations where the Word of God can be planted in the lives of others? And how are you planning out the next 90 days that you would be different as a disciple by Labor Day? Like, what's your summer study plan or your summer resting in the Lord plan? What's your summer plan for growing in grace? How will the garden of your heart grow and what will it produce? I hope that by the end of the summer, we each have a harvest of righteousness, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. But that's only going to happen if we actually invest our time and energy in cultivating those things in our lives. You've been listening to a special edition of Mornings with Carmen. We've got another hour up next on this Memorial Day. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.